You are listening to the official Sasta podcast with me, Harry Stebbings. I would love to hear your thoughts and feedback on the show. And you can do that on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. It would be so great to see you there. And I really do always love to hear your thoughts and feedback. However, to our guest today, and I'm very excited to welcome Alexander Wang, founder and CEO at Scale, the startup providing high quality training and validation data for AI applications. To date, Alexander's raised over $23 million with Scale from some of the very best in the business, including Index, Excel, Y Combinator. Dropbox's Drew Houston, Justin Kahn, Thumbtack's Jonathan Swanson, and many more incredible names. And prior to founding Scale, Alexander was the tech lead at Cora, where he was directly responsible for all speed projects, and before that was a software engineer at Adapar, responsible for building and maintaining financial models. I do also want to say a huge thank you to the wonderful John Dishotsky and Tim Junio at Cadium for the fantastic question suggestions today. I really do so appreciate that, and many mojitos on me to thank you. But before we dive into the show today, I want to ask a question. Who has never had a bad service experience. I know I do all the time. That's why you need to consider Customer. That's Customer with a K, the next generation customer management platform that gives you a full view of your customer journeys, business process automation, and the ability to know everything about every customer, driving informed actions. Customer tracks every purchase you've made, product you've returned, ad you've clicked on, or item you've tossed from your cart, presenting it on a beautiful, always in context, omni-channel timeline view for the agent so that they can consistently and effortlessly deliver a white glove service. But don't just take my word for it. People first companies like Away Travel, Glossier, Ring, and Rent the Runway all choose to work with customer and see significant improvements in customer satisfaction, retention, and agent efficiency. Simply go to customer.com, that's customer with a K.com to learn more and ask for a demo. And speaking of great products as we did there, we all know that hiring is the crucial element in building any company. But let's be honest, the process is not great. So if you're currently spending a lot of time on phone interviews in your hiring process, there's an awesome solution called Spark Hire that's here to save you. Your candidates record video responses to your interview questions on their own time. Watch, share, and collaborate on the video interviews at your convenience to make better and faster decisions on who to invite for an in-person interview, saving time and money. And with over 5,000 organizations seeing significant improvements in their hiring process, Spark Hire is the leading video interviewing platform in the world and is giving away 20% off for two consecutive months when you sign up at sparkhire.com forward slash Sasta using the promo code Sasta. That's S-A-A-S-T-R. That's sparkhire.com forward slash Sasta. It really is a must. And last but not least, every week, as you know, we talk briefly to a WePay partner in a mini-series to get their best advice on achieving success. Currently, we're talking to David J, founder at Agree.com. Agree.com provides attorney-approved contracts and payments for businesses and creatives. Smart creatives and businesses use Agree.com to make their business serve their life, not the other way around. Hi, Harry. You know, it's the most exciting time to build tech. This last year, we built our newest company, warmwelcome.com, for 1% of the cost that it took us to build agree.com just three years ago. We're able to value adoption over perfection. We're able to build things iteratively along the way because there isn't the huge pressure to get it right the very first time. Incredible to hear that, David, and I couldn't agree more. Being decisive is really important for successful growth. And for more on successful growth, WePay offers payments you can bank on. Now a JP Morgan Chase Company. It offers you payments with bank scale and SMB distribution channels in addition to modern technology. Visit WePay.com forward slash Harry to find out more. That's WePay.com forward slash Harry. However, you've heard quite enough from me. So now I'm very, very excited to hand over to Alexander Wang, founder and CEO at Scale. Good. That's perfect. Okay. I think we're warmed up. 
Alex, it is absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. What can I say? I've heard so many good things, both from John Dishotsky and from Mike Volpe. So thank you so much for joining me today, Alex. Yeah, thanks for having me. Not at all, but I'd love to kick off today, Alex, with a little bit on you. So tell me, how did you make your way into the world of startups and SaaS and really come to found scale with that aha moment? Yeah, I grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Both my parents are weapons physicists, actually. After high school, I actually came out here to the Valley to work. So I worked at a couple startups or an Adapar because it was the tech industry was just the most exciting thing I could be doing. After I worked out here for a couple of years, I decided to go back to school. I went back to MIT, was doing machine learning research, and then I sort of got antsy. I really wanted to be building things, really wanted to be building products. And so I knew I wanted to start some company. I was trying to figure out the pain points that I had as a developer. And one of the big pain points was to build any machine learning, getting data was like the number one hurdle or the, the number one um, barrier that you come across. And so decided that that was as good idea as any. I went through YC and that was sort of the, the start of this journey about two and a half years ago. I went through Y Combinator, raised our Series A from Excel right after that, grinded for a couple of years, raised our Series B from Index and the rest is history. What an incredible journey it's been though. I do have to ask it, Alex, you mentioned some great companies there in Core and Adapar in your early days. I often get asked by kind of emerging grads, I've got three options. I could start a startup, I could join a high growth company, or I could join one of the large kind of fangs, so to speak, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google. So tell me, what would your advice be to this grad, given the experience that you've had? Yeah, I think your first experience should be at a high growth startup that is winning. And the reason for that is a couple things. I think first, you want to see what winning looks like. Even though the fang companies are winning, you don't really know what's letting them win. You don't really see what it looks like for them to win. And then the second thing is, at one of these emerging startups, you'll actually have way more power and way more impact and influence than you would at a large company. And that's really important, actually, because you have so much influence and so much power, every change you make, you basically get addicted to this sense of like, oh, I can actually have an impact. I can actually really influence the path of this company. And that's really important if ultimately one day you want to start a startup because that's the mode you have to be in. So my recommendation is join a high growth startup. No, I love it. And uh, I will be absolutely using that forevermore. I do want to start this day, Alex on kind of top down almost with the market itself. And I've interviewed over 2,500 VCs, if you can believe it. <laughs> 90% say they look for these huge markets. But we've chatted before and you said to me, Tam in the traditional sense barely matters. So can I ask, Alex, why do you take this contrarian stance when it comes to the importance of the size of the Tam? Yeah, when we started and even when we raised our Series B, I think for a lot of VCs, they would, they would sort of ask about our Tam and it would be, we'd be able to explain it, but it wouldn't be this massive tens of billions of dollar TAM. It was smaller, but it was growing very, very quickly. And it turns out what matters actually more than that is that we've been able to dominate that TAM. And because it's growing really quickly, our company is growing really quickly along with it. So I think one of the big things is if you have a big TAM, that just means you're playing in an established market. And what isn't really revealed by if I just compute the TAM and I say I'm playing in this TAM, it's not really clear like how likely is it for you to actually dominate that TAM? How likely is it for you to actually capture a significant portion of it. And that ends up being the most important thing, much more so than the size of the market, as long as the market's growing quickly. So if you look at something like, I think Uber, 
Uber's C pitch deck or their A pitch deck or whatnot, they say the TAM for what they're doing is $4 billion and they're about to IPO for $100 billion. So everybody gets it wrong in the early days. The Airbnb, their TAM when they were starting was literally zero, maybe not zero, but very, very small of sort of this home sharing thing. And now it's a, it's a $30 billion company. And so it's sort of like if you focus on the TAM, that just means you're playing in an established market and then you'll miss the best ideas and you'll sort of ignore the fact that the thing that really matters is the market that you're in growing and you have a chance to win it. I think the most interesting element there is kind of do you have a chance to win it in the competitive element and landscape? Can I ask, how do you think about competition today? I have different views of embrace it. You have others that say grow your own race, others that monitor it maniacally. How do you think about competition and the right way to approach it? Yeah, it's a good question. I believe more in the ignore it and row your own race mindset because the reality is most startups don't die because of competition, but they die by suicide. Another way to put it that I think is good is startups die of indigestion, not starvation. And that's because the actual risk for your startup is, oh, we hire a bunch of the wrong people and that kills the culture and that kills all productivity and kills our ability to win. Or, hey, we ended up being focused on the wrong things and that ended up setting us back quite a bit. And so it's very hard for any business in the world to catch up to a startup that has a lot of momentum, is growing quickly, and has an incredible culture to be able to continue growing very quickly. That, that's a very hard thing to actually catch up to. And so if you focus on rowing your own race and just maximizing your own growth rate and growing as quickly as you can, then you're going to be in a great spot no matter what. So that's my suggestion. The other important thing, though, is it helps when there's not a very threatening incumbent in your market. It would be relatively threatening, I think, to compete with Uber and Lyft today in the ride-sharing market. And so I think it helps to have an incumbent that's a little bit laggier. No, I totally agree with you in terms of that concerning in terms of competing with competition. I do have to kind of move one layer deeper though now into really the customers that drive the companies in these markets. When we were speaking before, you said to me, invest in customer success earlier than you think you maybe should. Can I ask, what's the personal experience here for you investing in customer success that leads this thinking? Yeah, so I think in the early days of a startup, and this was certainly true in the early days of scale, we were so focused on growth that we just wanted to be getting more customers all the time. And that was that was sort of the number one focus. And so once we got a customer, we'd be like, okay, one down, let's try to get the next customer and the next customer and the next customer. But I think what I didn't realize at that point is actually far more important in the long run that you build a culture where your customers are supremely, supremely happy and supremely, supremely excited about what you're doing. And so after you get your first customer, your first two customers, it's actually way better for your next hire, for example, for there to be a customer success hire versus a sales hire. Because the reality is like the sales piece is important, but it's far more important that you just build this culture of your customers loving you. And what we noticed is once we did that, once we really started investing in customer success and customer centricity in the company and, and embedding that into the culture, we were able to grow far faster because our customers would be so happy. They would tell all their friends. Those friends would come to us and say, hey, I've heard great things about scale. Let's try this out. And so it's kind of unintuitive if you haven't seen it before. But I think a lot of SaaS companies really should embody this and many of the fastest growing do where it's the truth that if you invest in customer success versus sales then you will grow faster. Listen, I totally agree, especially in terms of turning those kind of early customers into your primary acquisition channels. So I do agree with you there but the next logical question for me is okay so we need to invest in customer success earlier than we thought. What does that profile look like for the customer success rep or manager that we want to add? Is it the Salesforce logoed rep? Is it someone who's <laughs> never done it before? What does that look like to you? Yeah, I think Ultimately, customer success in startups is actually incredibly difficult because everything's breaking.
testing all the time. Like the customer will have a lot of demands and the startup will have to move extremely, extremely quickly. Sometimes the startup can seem very chaotic. And so you need to really make it seem stable to the customer. So it's it's a pretty difficult function. And I, I really would not hire somebody who comes from a big company who may have done customer success there. Because the reality is at those companies, customer success is much more cookie cutter and it's on top of a much more stable platform. I think the profiles that actually are quite good are people with consulting backgrounds in particular, because a lot of these consulting firms like McKinsey, Bain, BCG, they go into these large companies, the Fortune 500s to provide services. And the Fortune 500s, everybody within the Fortune 500 always hates the consultant. And the, the service the consultant is providing is always really nebulous and unclear. And so they get really good at dealing with these very uncertain environments and building relationships with customers, even when they're sort of viewed as the adversary. So I think those are really strong backgrounds for early customer success hires at a startup. No, I, I love that in terms of that background and how consultants maybe have a experience that ideally suited to it. I, I do want to ask the next logical question for me is, okay, so now we have their customer success as like primary importance. We have that f- profile. In terms of their kind of collaboration with the wider team, I'm always fascinated by the integration and collaboration between product and customer success. How do you think about how and if customers should impact product roadmap? Let's start with that. Yeah, I think that your early customers in particular are extremely influential in your product and you should basically build a lot of what they ask you to build. And a lot of this is because what are the real failure modes you're going to get into as a startup? I think the number one failure mode that a lot of startups get into is that they're sort of, they're too in their head about the products that they build. And so they'll be very principled and and try to have a philosophy around everything they're building. And it'll turn out they're just wasting a lot of time building stuff that nobody wants. And so if you're very focused, one other thing I I really believe is earliest on in a startup, you should really pick your first couple customers very well, because no matter what, these first couple of customers are going to define your product roadmap for the next while. And so you should really make sure to pick customers that you think are representative of where either the future is going or a much broader set of customers. And then you should just totally listen to what they ask you to build and build those things. There's a bit of nuance there. You want to make sure to question them and make sure you understand the pain so you can maybe come up with a better solution to the pain. But in general, your roadmap should be much more dictated by your customer than anybody else. I mean, so many things for me to unpack there. First one that I want to unpack is you said kind of about ensuring building what people want. In terms of like the A-B testing and the iteration phase, how do you determine once a product is released, whether it's a hit or it's not a hit and it needs to be addressed? Kind of what's that right amount of time between that iteration versus success validation phase? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think there's a couple snags for these products. I think the first snag is getting customers onboarded onto the products. And that's a real snag. And so you want to just like, get rid of any possibility of that by going to your customer, teaching them how to use it, literally telling them in person how to use it early on. So you don't you don't risk that at all. And then you just honestly ask your customers. I think you can look at the usage metrics and you can look at your revenue metrics or whatnot and sort of maybe try to observe it. But the reality is you just ask your customers like, hey, how is it? One thing is if you invest in customer success and you build a trusting relationship with your customer, they're going to be very open with you. And that's sort of gold right there is, hey, we built this thing 
Do you actually love it or is it horrible or whatnot? And then just fit based on whatever your customers are saying. Can I ask? It's always a big question for me. And it's the Henry Ford statement. If I built what customers asked, I would build a faster horse. How do you think about being kind of customer informed, but not customer driven to the detriment of the product? So you definitely need to hear the pain first. So try to really dig in on what the pain is. And then based on that pain, come to your own conclusions about like, okay, I think this solution is probably the best one. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't focus on the customer solutions. Although again, if you do pick your first customers wisely, then oftentimes they actually have very good solutions for a lot of these problems, but you want to focus on the pains. And then I think that the Henry Ford quote is great and all, and it, that's really how you get discontinuous like innovation and whatnot. But usually on the product side, you have a couple big bets. You can't produce something that's so out of left field that nobody knows how to use it. Nobody really understands what it's used for, et cetera. You, you have a couple big bets to be innovative. And for the rest, you really want to make sure that it's intuitive and it just solves the customer's problem plain and simple. No, I do agree with you in terms of not being too frontier and too misunderstandable. I do want to drill one layer deeper still, though, into the deals that we actually agree with these customers before we get them onboarded. In today's world, you know, we both know that the large ACVs are hailed and respected. But you mentioned to me before, don't worry about your deal sizes at first. What makes you say this, Alex? Yeah, so I think all of these things are just about don't really overthink it and over-optimize it early. The only thing you should be focused on early is get customers who absolutely love you and know that they will pay for it, but don't be worried if they don't pay too much very early on. So I think in sort of the path of scale, I think our first deals were like a couple thousand dollars and they were really, really measly. And then as time went on and as we grew, they grew to be larger and larger. And as we hired a sales team, they got to hundreds of K and then we closed a couple million dollar deals. And so it's one of these things that, that is really evolving with your customer base, with your customers, with your team. And so early on, it's you just shouldn't be too worried about it. It's really hard to predict based on your initial product, how much you're going to be able to charge for your product and how much people are going to be willing to pay. And so just get in the door with customers, start getting their feedback, start getting people to use it, start getting people to love it. And then over time, that's when you optimize your pricing and that's when you optimize your ACVs. And that's when you sort of try to optimize your revenues. So I think there's a bunch of great examples of this. I mean, Segment, for example, they started as an open source project. And then when they started charging for it, they're one of the companies, and I recommend a lot of companies do this, but they sort of doubled their pricing every contract until people said no. And so you have time to do stuff like that. And you have a lot of customers to be able to experiment with stuff on that. But again, in the early days, just focus on the product, focus on the customer happiness. So I do totally agree with you there in terms of that customer centricity. As you know, I speak to many VCs though, and I was speaking to one this morning and he said, you know, I just turned down a deal because I was looking at the sizes of their ACVs in the early days. And to me, it just signified that it wasn't that much of a pain point because they were two, three, two, three, two, three grand. And so it wasn't that compelling. And I, I didn't know if they had the ability to scale them over time. How would you respond to a founder who's concerned about attaining the seed or series A where investors are drilling in on those early numbers? Yeah. One thing I'll say is VCs get it wrong all the time, all the time. <laughs> VCs will miss the real big winners and the best companies. Yeah, I think if you go to most of the best companies and you ask about their early rounds and how difficult those were to raise, they'll generally say that they were relatively challenging. Obviously, Airbnb's YC story is very infamous. Robinhood, when they were raising sort of their early rounds, is infamous as well. And so it's VCs will have one perspective on your business, but you should form your own opinions because VCs do get it wrong all the time. The thing that I would say is the thing that's far more powerful for a VC to hear is that customers genuinely love the product versus like your, your financials or your ACVs, particularly at the seed and series A stage. And so I think it's about when they do the ref call 
with the customer? Is the customer just absolutely in love with the product and absolutely totally excited to be using the product and thinks it's the best thing since sliced bread for them? And then when they sit down with you and they ask you about like, okay, but what about these ACVs or what about like, how are you actually going to build a business off of this? You have to have a story there. You have to have a plan of like, oh, we actually think that people are willing to pay a lot more for this. We have, this is like, these are the data points that signify that. Or, hey, we think we can actually blanket the market and we'll have really low customer acquisition costs. One or the other, you should have a story. But what I generally see is investors are far more moved by just customers who really, really love the product. That's actually, I mean, that's how Mike Volpe found us for our Series B is that he had heard from some of our customers how much they loved our product. And that was primary hook. That's the primary reason he reached out and we got in touch with him. Can I ask, what was the inflection point for you going, okay, we've solidified that kind of core customer base. They love our product. Now we need to actually start really kind of engaging with true value extraction from the value we're creating. When was that inflection point? And when should founders think, okay, we do need to flip the switch now and optimize for pricing? Yeah, I think for us, it was once we got a handful of customers and we felt they were very happy. So maybe in autonomous vehicles, after we got, say, three customers and they were very happy and we felt they were all very innovative companies, we sort of told ourselves, okay, this just means that everybody wants what we have. We've built a really great product. And I think now we can focus on actually operationalizing the business out of it. Importantly, actually, it was after we had hired our first sales rep. So initially, when we hired our first sales rep and he was selling the product, the directive was actually, don't worry as much about pricing and just focus on getting these great customers and, and getting them in the door. Because I didn't want him to be too focused on the value extraction before we even had enough signal that we were building the right thing. So really, it was after we had a couple very strong customers who really loved the product and we had our first sales rep already there who, who sort of provided some signal to me. He said, hey, I think we can be charging more for this product. And that's when we really turned the switch. No, I love it. And what a switch it's turned into. I do want to finish there, Alex, on the quick fire round. So I say a short statement and you give me your immediate thoughts. Are you ready to rock and roll? Yeah, ready. So tell me, what quote or motto do you most frequently revert back to? Yeah, I think the one that's best is Steve Jobs's quote, which is, it's part of his talk at Stanford. You can't connect the dots looking ahead. You can only connect them looking backwards or something like that. I, I think I butchered it a bit, but I think it's one of those things where it really inspires you to be ambitious and just go for it all the time and do what you love and follow your heart. Because I think that's ultimately the most important thing. And then when you look back, all these things will be very, very useful. Tell me a moment in your life, Alex, this served as an inflection point maybe and changed the way you think. Yeah, I think one of the big ones was when I was at Quora, we had these hackathons where we were building products. And during two of these hackathons, the sort of hacks that I built ended up sort of getting adopted by the product roadmap and launched on Quora. And I think those really made me feel very powerful as a builder. It made me think, wow, if I can build something in a week and then all of a sudden hundreds of millions of people are using it, then I can do anything. Yeah, I love that. And what an experience that must have been. What's the hardest role to hire for today, Alex? And why do you think? Interesting question. I think the hardest role to hire for today is actually marketing. And that's because I think the world of marketing is A, advancing very quickly. I think it's gone just in a, in a couple of years from being more brand and corporate marketing driven to being right now very technical and metrics driven. And it's also so specific to the product, what good marketing looks like. And so 
you need people who are really, really creative. As a content creator, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of the speed of development of the marketing market. What, who do you think is crushing it in the world of SaaS today and why, Alex? It's a good question. I mean, I certainly believe in all the API companies quite a bit. So the the Plaid, well, the Stripes, obviously, Stripes, Twilio's, Plaid, Checker, etc. of the world. I think the API companies are credible because they can grow so quickly and they can become such important infrastructure for their customers. So I'm really inspired by all the API companies. I couldn't agree with you more. I have to say, I'm a massive fan and lover of Clearbit as well. Final one. What do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning of your journey with scale? Honestly, I think one of the big things is just that a lot of people will get it wrong at the start. And so you could over-rotate on what people tell you when you first start the company and you can over-rotate on what people tell you as you grow it. But the reality is nobody really knows what you're going to be able to accomplish. And nobody really knows about where you're going. Everybody's just guessing. And so don't be too focused on the stuff that everybody tells you. Be focused on make sure that you really believe in what you're doing and go from there. Alex, listen, I, as I said, I had so many good things, both from John and from Mike. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. This has been great. I mean, my word, what a company. And I want to say a huge thanks to Alex for giving up his time today to appear on the show. If you'd like to see more from us behind the scenes here at Sasta, we would love to welcome you. You can do that on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. It really would be great to see you there. But before we leave you today, I want to ask a question. Who has never had a bad service experience? I know I do all the time. That's why you need to consider Customer. That's Customer with a K. The next generation customer management platform that gives you a full view of your customer journeys, business process automation, and the ability to know everything about every customer, driving informed actions. Customer tracks every purchase you've made, product you've returned, ad you've clicked on, or item you've tossed from your cart, presenting it on a beautiful, always in context, omni-channel timeline view for the agent so that they can consistently and effortlessly deliver a white glove service. But don't just take my word for it. People-first companies like Away Travel, Glossier, Ring, and Rent the Runway all choose to work with customer and see significant improvements in customer satisfaction, retention, and agent efficiency simply go to customer.com that's customer with a k.com to learn more and ask for a demo and speaking of great products as we did there we all know that hiring is the crucial element in building any company but let's be honest the process is not great so if you're currently spending a lot of time on phone interviews in your hiring process there's an awesome solution called spark hire that's here to save you your candidates record video responses to your interview questions on their own time watch share and collaborate on the video interviews at your convenience to make better and faster decisions on who to invite for an in-person interview, saving time and money. And with over 5,000 organizations seeing significant improvements in their hiring process, SparkHire is the leading video interviewing platform in the world and is giving away 20% off for two consecutive months when you sign up at sparkhire.com forward slash SASTA using the promo code SASTA, that's S-A-A-S-T-R, that's sparkhire.com forward slash SASTA. It really is a must. And last but not least, every week, as you know, we talk briefly to a WePay partner in a mini-series to get their best advice on achieving success. Currently, we're talking to David J, founder at Agree.com. Agree.com provides attorney-approved contracts and payments for businesses and creatives. Smart creatives and businesses use Agree.com to make their business serve their life, not the other way around. Hi, Harry. You know, it's the most exciting time to build tech. This last year, we built our newest company, WarmWelcome.com, for 1% of the cost that it took us to build Agree.com just three years ago. We're able to value 
adoption over perfection. We're able to build things iteratively along the way because there isn't the huge pressure to get it right the very first time. Incredible to hear that, David. And I couldn't agree more. Being decisive is really important for successful growth. And for more on successful growth, WePay offers payments you can bank on. Now a JP Morgan Chase company, it offers you payments with bank scale and SMB distribution channels in addition to modern technology. Visit WePay.com forward slash Harry to find out more. That's WePay.com forward slash Harry. I cannot thank you enough as always for tuning in and I can't wait to bring you another fantastic interview next Monday.